For workers, climate action. Climate change, capitalism and working class struggle. A collection of articles and reviews produced by Workers' Liberty. These articles were mostly published in the socialist newspaper produced by Workers' Liberty, Solidarity. Two were documents discussed and passed at Workers' Liberty conferences. One was published in the US socialist journal, New Politics. One was written for a bulletin at Ender Galenda. Workers' Liberty is a revolutionary socialist organisation active in the working class, among students and in many campaigns and struggles. Stop the fossil fuel reboot. Build back better, blah, blah, blah. Green economy, blah, blah, blah. Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Climate neutral, blah, blah, blah. This is all we hear from our so-called leaders. Words, words that sound great, but so far have not led to action. Our hopes and ambitions drown in their empty promises. They're now, they've now had 30 years of blah, blah, blah. And where has that led us? Over 50% of all our CO2 emissions have occurred since 1990 and a third since 2005 by uh, Greta Thunberg, 28th of September 2021. After a summer of fires, floods and freaky weather, the, um, the gap between widespread green rhetoric and the facts of fossil fuel reboot is starkly inescapable. The problem isn't that the world is being too slow in reducing greenhouse emissions. It's blood-curdlingly worse. We're moving in the wrong direction. The change forced by the COVID pandemic, a pandemic birthed in part by environmental destruction and pursuit of profit before health, caused a temporary slight downturn in global emissions. Yet already 2021 seems set to be second only to the pre-pandemic 2019. Indeed, the spring global emissions from power generation, industry and housing were already at least as high as the same period in 2019. Worse is in the pipeline. Russia's gas Goliath Gazprom has increased its production and exports so far in 2021 to close to a historic high. This October, the Chinese state has ordered over 70 coal mines in Inner Mongolia alone to increase production by around 100 million tonnes. Their six-point plan for tackling the energy crisis centres on ramping up coal. Meanwhile, Quetta Gas Company is announcing a new project to ramp up natural gas extraction. In the UK, many have called for increased gas reserves. Yet it is possible to rapidly turn off the industrial quantity pumping up of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere while keeping the lights on, avoiding energy crises like recently in the UK and China and maintaining a high quality of life. Renewables and electrification. A rapid expansion of solar, winds, hydroelectric, nuclear and geothermal power coupled with the phasing out of fossil energy could meet our energy needs. This expansion and transition requires large upfront public investment in power generation. An artificial market in energy with electricity transported and distributed using outdated technology is inefficient, ineffective and unjust. 
a more sophisticated and democratically coordinated energy grid than the current one is necessary to reduce energy waste and tackle energy poverty. This will be doubly so when more of energy production is weather dependent or scales up and down short term less easily. The interests and pursuits of powerful and profitable sections of the energy sector can no longer dominate. Their interests must be ignored, their activities actively suppressed. This all cuts against the forces and logic of the current economic regime. Fossil carbon is also used directly for transportation of people and goods, for heating of buildings and water, for cooking and for industrial heat. These processes can be electrified, the energy use reduced, and then powered by renewable and nuclear energy. Quality of life and the environment would be helped by efficient electric, low-cost, long-distance rail and local public transport, and policies to support walking, cycling and shorter necessary journeys. This applies to goods as well as people. Flights and fossil car use should be repressed. Halt airport expansion, phase out most short-haul flights, introduce a punitive frequent flyer tax or rationing, immediately ban sale of new hydrocarbon-powered cars, coupled with a car scrappage or retrofitting scheme to make electric vehicles available where necessary. This would require substantial public funding, overriding markets in transport freight and vehicle production, and tackling entrenched lucrative industries and companies, aviation car production, and even overpriced private railway companies, head-on. Johnson's latest claim on home heating provides a model of how not to approach the transition. The government will be offered £5,000 for homeowners to install uh, low-carbon heating technologies like heat pumps when the time comes to replace their old boiler. End quotes. An atomized house-by-house approach is necessarily much less energy efficient, requiring more electricity overall. Crucially, the scheme is far too slow and ineffective. Most estimates place the installation of an air source heat pump at considerably above £5,000. Ground source higher still, and a boiler costs perhaps £400 to £2,500. Heat pumps typically last longer than the boiler and will probably save energy bills, so overall may be cheaper. But that considerable upfront cost will be a barrier to most working-class homeowners and short-termist landlords. And with boilers typically lasting 10 to 15 years, the policy, even if universally adapted, adopted, implies many homes still heated by fossil gas well into the 2030s. Johnson's article in The Sun gives us a flavour of this approach to transition. Wealth and resources. There are plenty of resources and reservoirs of wealth available for these much-needed and expensive transitions. Johnson's scheme is committing a mere half billion. Labour's five demands to keep 1.5 degrees alive published 13th of October, calls for a paltry 
20, quotes, £28 billion every year until 2030 to tackle the climate crisis, end quotes, up from Corbyn's £25 billion a year, but with no mention of public ownership. The more ambitious One Million Climate Jobs, originally published one decade ago and supported by many unions, calls for £66 billion a year. Official figures of tax avoidance, fraud and non-payment alone, likely a serious underestimate, put it at £35 billion this year. Much of that will be avoidance by the rich. Closing loopholes could more than cover Labour's demands. That in turn is dwarfed by conventionally legal theft by the super-rich. In spring 2021, the Sunday Times Rich List 2021 found that, quotes, annual ranking, rankings saw the wealth of each of the UK's 250 richest people grow at an average rate of more than £1 million a day, end quotes. That is a total of £1 billion for every four days, or £91 billion in a year. And this is before we consider hidden wealth, pre-existing wealth, or wealth of those multimillionaires unlucky enough to not make the top 250. Climate change is the biggest threat facing humanity. We must wield the resources currently stolen and hoarded by the rich to halt and reverse it and accommodate to its unavoidable impacts. We have seen time and time again the ruling class resist tooth and nail any attempts to regulate industries they control if it will curb their profits. We cannot leave them in control, as Labour's five demands propose, with the power, leverage and desire to evade and fight back against even the most minimal measures necessary to start moving things in the right direction. We must confront their power head-on. Significant and powerful sections of and tendencies within the capitalist class will fight every major change that is necessary to stop climate catastrophe. There is reason not for despair, but for urgency in the radical action and organising that can win the changes we need to limit the destruction. A world limited to 1.3% centigrade this century will be almost unimaginably better than a world limited to 1.5% centigrade. A world limited to 3% centigrade in turn, unimaginably better than one limited to 4% centigrade. And how society will be structured, what climate interventions and what infrastructural adaptions to the changing world are made matters just as much. Workers and class struggle. We, the organised working class, the socialist environmentalists within that, will be the decisive force in determining which future is realised. The rich's economic power, and from that their political and ideological power, is created by workers in the workplace. Of the vast wealth we produce, they give us wages enough to survive by and take the rest for themselves. It is here where the shape of society, the wealth of humanity, the power of the rich and the greenhouse pollutants are largely produced, that these can be transformed, redistributed, tackled. Workers organising at work are the key to stopping climate change. We cannot look for environmental change to businesses, 
which are controlled warlord-like by our class enemies. Nor can we look to the state as if it is a neutral body which after this or that election can bring the changes we need. The state as it currently exists serves the interests of the ruling class and its power rests upon institutions which are tied to that class. It is no coincidence that around the world governments have failed to take meaningful action. They will fail once more in COP26. As workers organising in workplaces and trade unions where production happens, we have the interest and power to transform society from the ground up. We are kindling that fight now, joining protests and youth climate strikes and bringing workplace students and union delegations with us, organising around environmental issues at work or beyond, bringing bold motions to the Labour Party and our unions, taking work like working class and socialist politics to our local XR groups and national rebellions, and engaging in workers' liberties, environmental events and publications such as this pamphlet to arm ourselves with the ideas needed for the fight. Adapted from Solidarity 610th Editorial, October 2021, um, with a note, uh, COVID-19 has at the time of writing infected 1 in 10 people in the UK and kills 1 in 200. Faced with a serious and imminent threat and crisis, the government has been unwilling to go as far as necessary in public spending on healthcare and PPE or interfering with the sanctity of the market with restrictions. The ruling class has been particularly averse to granting workers crucial rights such as full self-isolation and sick pay, even though many have got ill or died as a result. A right that workers may fight to keep and build upon is a cost worse than blood. The power of rich friends of the Tories has resulted in billions being siphoned to the likes of 6G Force S to comprehensively fail to provide a track and trace service. Rather than spending on services supporting those who need to isolate, the government throws handouts via a eat-out-to-help-out scheme, fueling further spread. The picture is more comprehensively true with climate change, which requires deeper management of what currently falls under the purview of private property, profit and greater reclaiming of wealth from the ruling class. 